So, so we met uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Paul moved in with them. We looked at that. The probability of the reason he moved in, they were tent makers. They had the same profession. So he lived with them for a while. He, and it says in verse number 4, chapter 18, that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So he's there in the synagogue. He's preaching. He's trying to tell them about Jesus. He's trying to tell them about salvation. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And we looked at that last week as well, that I'm not sure why it took Silas and Timothy so long to get there. It's been a long period of all the time at Athens that they didn't get, but they, they finally got there and it was an encouragement. We talked about it. Sometimes people are just an encouragement to you. Sometimes when you're down, they're just an encouragement to you. To be honest, that, 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 that picture w was an encouragement to me. It was just a reminder of how God answers prayers when you pray for people you ain't ever met and may never meet. Uh, when, when John shares a testimony, those things encourage you. Things come along. God sends you stuff. Sometimes he just sends you stuff all along the way. I hope God sent you an encouragement Sunday. I don't know what y'all got out of it, but I've been about to pop. Um, I, I was full all last week. I cried every time I studied, and I couldn't hardly preach Sunday. I just, uh, I'm very thankful. Sometimes God just sends you an encouragement. He just sends you that kind of day, that kind of time. And, and, but sometimes you're really down. And, I mean, you really need it, you know. But God knows just what you need, just when you need it, and always sends it. And So what we see is that he sent Paul some encouragement. He got a fresh new spirit. And, and Paul goes on with the preaching. But when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. And he said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth, I will go into the Gentiles. I've told you. I've tried. I've told you about Christ. I've tried to reason. I've told you about the Old Testament, how Christ is the fulfillment. I've tried to help you to understand who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the prophecy fulfilled of the Old Testament. You won't listen to it? Fine. Your blood's on your own hands. You want to die and go to hell? Your choice. What was it we talked about Sunday? God won't send you to hell, but he'll honor your choice. So, so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I've had it with you Jews. I've had it with you, you Pharisees, you religious leaders. I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. Now, for me personally, what I see in the next verse when I look, anybody just believe that God has a sense of humor? I just, I just believe he does. Some of the things just he's done to me, I believe he's got a sense of humor. But I see things even in the scriptures that just look like God's just got to have a sense of humor. And that, that's, that's one of them. The Jews have followed Paul all over the map. He went on the first missionary journey. They went to city after city after city after city. They followed him. And in every city, they persecuted him. In every city, they stirred up trouble against him. In every city, they condemned him. They tore him down. And, and in every city, they, they eventually got him ran out. They had him stoned in Lystra, thought he was dead. They left him for dead. So they go back. So they followed him all over the place. And here, they've, they've stirred it up again. And Paul says, that's fine. I'm, I'm done with you here. I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. And God gives him a place to leave that says that it's right beside the synagogue. He, he gives him a house to live in that, that's one of the rulers of the synagogue. It says in verse number seven, part of this and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God. But it says that whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So he gives Paul a place to live Right next to him. I mean, that's like an in-your-face moment. You don't want to hear that. That's fine. You may not listen to the gospel, but you're fixing to watch a church grow right up under your roof. 
You're fixing to watch me work right next door, right up in here, and, and you're going to miss out. So, see, the synagogue, there. there's two important officials in it, and we, we get them both right here. One they call the angel of the synagogue. That would be the preacher, if you will. That would be the main speaker, the one that, that prayed for the people and, and brought most of the messages. He's responsible to, to appoint the one that would read the law. If you remember in that day, they had the reading of the law most any time they got together, and some, some traditions still carried on. But then there's the ruler of the synagogue. That's who we have mentioned here. Kind of more the business affairs, establishing um, when and where things would be held in the order of services. That, that's the job of Crispus here. He's, he's one of the few people. Matter of fact, you look, Paul did not baptize very many people. Um, he certainly didn't baptize many here at Corinth. But, but Crispus is one of the ones that the apostle Paul baptized. So the Jews have harassed Paul. They, they've mocked him. They, they've beat him. They, they run him out of city after city. Paul says, fine, I, I'm done with you. I've, I've done all I know to do. I'm just going to walk away. And as a result, God gives him a house, a place to stay right beside the synagogue. And the text says that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Verse number nine, I personally kind of feel like we see an answer to a prayer here, or at least a concern that Paul has. The text says that, that the Lord came and, and spoke to him in a vision. I mean, before I actually just read the text, I'll just kind of tell you my thought a little bit, just studying and looking things, trying to look at maybe some other men's opinions, and people are certainly a whole lot smarter. But here's what I know. Paul may be Paul, but he was Saul. Paul may be the apostle, but he was the persecutor of the church. Paul ain't forgot who he was because the devil ain't let him forget who he was. Paul, Paul was a man who gets up and gets dressed every day just like all of us. He is a human being. I believe he battles with the flesh. He talks about it. He battles with the flesh. He battles with life. He battles with things that goes on. I, I, I kind of feel like Paul maybe is battling with something here. I, I feel like maybe Paul might have went to sleep praying. Y'all go to sleep praying? See, I used to think that'd be bad to fall asleep on God. I don't think that anymore. I just think it's the best thing to do to you go to sleep. I mean, if I'm asleep, I might well be praying. And, and then when you wake up the next morning, you say, good morning, Father. And you start right, you pick up right where you left off. I, th I think Paul might have fallen asleep praying. See, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he might have heard some things. Remember some men came to him once already in the passage and said that the Jews are getting together. They're going to kill you. They're, they're coming after you, and they snuck him out of the city. And another time they come, and they said, hey, they're coming after you. They're, they're going to beat you up. They're going to take you before the rulers, and they, they plan to, to beat you again and imprison you. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he heard some rumors again. Maybe he heard, because the Jews, I mean, he is right next door to the synagogue. You got the Jews. You got the trouble. Maybe somebody came and told him something. Maybe it's just the knowledge of the past. I mean, if I'm dealing with some people who stoned me, I'm going to have a little bit of a hard time forgetting about it. I know how much authority the Jewish elite has. The Pharisees had some power. Y'all know that, right? They, they had some say-so. They don't have near as much say-so here because they're in Roman districts. So they don't have like they would have in Jerusalem. But they do have some authority. They got some pretty good pull. Maybe Paul's just thinking about not really wanting to go through that. So I, don't, I don't really know. Whatever the maybe is, maybe he just he fell asleep in a mode of prayer. But for whatever reason, whatever the maybe is, what we know is that verse number 9 says that the Lord spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. He showed up 
when he needed him. He gave him some strength. He gave him some encouragement. That's important because Paul's no different than you and I. What God does for one, he does for all. He's no respecter of persons. So when you have fear, he'll be there to calm it. When you have anxiety, he'll be there to help it. When, when you have trials, troubles, tribulation, he'll be there in the midst of it. He shows up and, and he says, be not afraid. He, he says, speak and hold thy peace. He says, preach the gospel. Don't, don't, let, don't let them beat you down. Don't, don't let them knock you down. Don't let, don't let them cause you to be quiet. Don't, don't let them cause you to maybe not say something you otherwise would have said. You preach the gospel and you just go ahead. Don't, don't hold thy peace. You just preach boldly, for I am with thee. And no man, now this, this is a promise. This is a promise. Y'all got to get a hold. You, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. God just said, you ain't fixing to get stoned here at Corinth. You're not fixing to get beat. You're not fixing to get hurt. You're not fixing to get slapped, smited. They're, they're not going to hurt you here. God said, I got your back, buddy. I'm with thee. No man shall set on thee to, to hurt thee. But then he says, for I have much people in this city. We forget some things sometimes. See, God told Paul, you may feel alone, but you're not. And, and, and here's the deal. We, that, that, that's a really churchy answer. And I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but say, well, you know, you're never alone. God's always with you. Well, he, he is. That's the truth. That's the truth. But, but that's not what God's saying. God says, I got people around you. It's not just the Holy Spirit's with you. I got people. I, I got other people. I, I have much people in this city. So you remember, remember last week we looked at Corinth as this incredibly wicked city. When the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church at Rome, he talked about all the things he wrote, wickedness, fornication, idolatry, incest, there was homosexual activities, there's adultery, there's, there's all this stuff. And then he, when he writes to Rome and he names those things out, he's talking about Corinth. I believe that because he's in Corinth. And he's looking out on the street, and he's seeing this wickedness as he's writing. And he's talking about all the things that he sees. So here he is right in the middle of this wicked city with all this junk going on. And God says, hey, right here in the middle of all this, I have much people. Right here in the middle of what looks to be like an upside-down world, I have much people. Right here in the middle of a country that looks like it's going backward and getting further and further away from God. And the White House is upside down. And all the government is corrupt. And all the policy is bad. And everything looks bad. I have much people. I, I got people around you. not by yourself. I, I, got, I got people alone. Now, I want to look at that for a minute. Because I think it says a lot to us. I, I think there's a great story in it for us of what God's doing. I couldn't help but think when I was reading it. I thought back about the great prophet Elijah. So I turn back to look at 1 Kings chapter 19 because Elijah, God has sent him down after the brook Cherith and all that. He's come back and he's taken on the 450 prophets of Baal. He's called down fire. He's had all the prophets killed. There's been this great victory there at Mount Carmel. And, and now um, the, old, the old hag, what was her name? Jezebel. Jezebel says, I'm going to have you killed. And he says, oh man, he freaks out. You just had 450 false prophets of Baal killed. One woman says, I'm going to have you killed for that. And then he freaks out and he runs. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, he, he himself a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. 
Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he laid and slept under the juniper tree, behold, the angel touched him. An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on coals. That's pretty cool. Wake up, and there's a cake right there, man. God's been baking while you've been sleeping. So, so he, he wakes up, and, and, and there's the cake, and he tells him, Arise and eat. And, and there's the cake and a cruise of water at his head. And, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Verse number 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him, said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. See, God knows what he's about to do in your life. God's given you provisions to prepare you for something. He's fixing to go 40 days without food. There's going to be a great trip. God is preparing him for it, but he's going to do something great in it. He came, he said, it's too great, and he arose, and he did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto, unto Horeb, the mount of God. He came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? God has brought him to this place. And, and here he is. God says, what are, you, what are you doing here? What are you doing high now? And this is Elijah's answer. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And here's what he says. I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. What we find is this great, one of the greatest prophets of the word of God, greatest prophets of the Old Testament. We find him sitting here immersed in self-pity. We find him sitting here defeated after he just defeated 450 false prophets of Baal, called down fire from heaven, licked up the water, devoured the sacrifice. After all that, now here he sits defeated and he says, I'm all alone. There's nobody else around here that wants to serve God. I am all by myself on this planet. Verse number 11. He said, go forth. God told him, go forth. Stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind. Rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and saith, here comes the same question. What doest thou here, Elijah? Verse number 14, same answer. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Same answer. Same answer. God, I was doing your work. That's all it is, your work. And, and now, now I'm on the run. I'm hiding in this cave. And the reason why is because I'm the only one. Verse number 15, the Lord said, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maloha, thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. Him that escaped from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. God always has a remnant. 
God always has a people, and God always has a plan. No matter how helpless the situation looks, no matter how hopeless the situation looks, no matter how alone we may feel, God always has a plan. Now, here's why that stood out to me when I was reading that, and I saw that as important because I hear this more and more in my life now. People that work in plants, people that work in the schools, people that work with big corporations, people that work on construction sites. Have you ever felt like you were all by yourself at work? Have you ever felt like you were the only one there that cared about God? Have you ever felt like you're the only one that works and nobody around you even wants to hear the gospel that you're trying to tell them? That you're the only Christian there? Have you ever felt like your testimony is not welcome at the place where you work? Have you ever been beat down by the people around you to the point that you begin to feel like you're the only one that works there that is a Christian? And we begin to feel all alone in the places where we are. When the truth is, the truth is our job is always the same. God says you're not alone. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, even if you were the only one there, our job remains the same. Tell them about Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He was good enough for me. He's good enough for you. If he can save me, he can save anybody. There's nobody. So our job remains the same. But here's, here's what I believe. If somebody has the boldness to come forward, it probably would give strength to some more to come forward. But because when the Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes everybody's not a leader. That, that's, that's not a bad thing. Everybody's just not a leader. Everybody's not going to take that front runner position. Everybody's not going to step out first and say, thus saith the Lord in the midst of sin. But if just one will step out. One over here that was kind on the borderline, now they got the courage to join them. And, and before you know it, another one over here's got the courage to join them. And now you got three before you know it over here. And, and you, you, we start finding out there are Christians where we work. There, there, are, there are people that love the Lord. There are other people that read their Bible that morning before they came to work. There are other people that prayed and prayed for that day. That, that God, God always has people around us. So our job is just to make our salvation known. But what we see in both of those is God always has a people. God always has something around us. Paul says, no, no, don't, don't, you, don't you worry about them. Be not afraid. You speak. Hold not thy peace. I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt, for I have much people in this city. So for a year and a half, the apostle Paul says right there in Corinth, see, we, we kind of see a whole bit of a change right here is where the ministry begins to preach. He stays there a year and a half, verse 11. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now remember in the first missionary journey and so far in this second missionary journey, he has gone from city to city to city to city to city to city. He's kind of like an evangelist. You, you hit a city in a church, you hit a city in a church, you hit a city in a church, but he's getting run out of cities. But, but now all of a sudden, you find him settled in into the ministry right here at Corinth. You re remember, if you wasn't here, I, I just a brief highlight of it. When he's coming into this, there were several wicked cities that the Holy Spirit forbade him to preach. Those over here, you remember that? The Holy Spirit forbade him to preach and forbade him to preach and forbade him to preach. And he's walking past sinners and he's walking past lost cities and he's walking past wicked places. And he's like, Lord, surely you need me to preach here. He forbade him to preach, but he was getting him to Europe to make a stronghold to establish the gospel around the world. And now he's got him to a place that he's here in this wicked, wicked place for a year and a half. 
And, and God begins to do a work so you, we can look and we can see there was a plan the whole time. Verse number 12, when Galileo was deputy of, of Achaia, it says that the Jews made insurrection with one another or, or with one accord against Paul. They, they gathered against him again. They, they get up a bunch of people and they begin getting the Gentiles and other Jews and anybody that's not a Christian. And they start trying to stir them up and, and make them mad. They gather together and they brought them to the judgment seat. The judgment seat is basically a courtroom. That, that, that is where Galileo there resides over that courtroom. He is a Roman official. He has Roman control. He has Roman authority. And he, he oversees Legal affairs. If somebody breaks the law, he sets the standard. So they bring him there and bring him in there, and they're going to bring all of these accusations against him. See, the, the reality is as we study this, what we see is that there, there's so many souls being saved. There's much people that there's a multitude being saved, even in the synagogue. There's so many people being saved. This is rubbing the Jews wrong, bad. God put them right next door attached to the synagogue. And while they're sitting over there starving to death for their law, they're watching the church grow. They're seeing God do great things. And here, here's the part that's bothering them. They're seeing beggars saved. They're seeing poor people saved. They're seeing wicked people saved and accepted. They're seeing adulterers and whoremongers and, and all of this wicked vanity. They're seeing them saved and allowed to come to church services. And that's bothering them. But because these, these people are outside the law. And, and so here that they've gathered up and it's just like they did at Philippi and every other city. That they try to stir up stuff against him. Right? So in other cities they, they beat him. They've imprisoned him. They've stoned him. But Paul has a promise right here in this one. What is it? He ain't going to touch you. Nobody's going to hurt you here. I got this under control. So they get him up. They bring him in. They bring him into the court here of Galileo. And, and they, they start making their allegations against him. They're, they're bringing their, their charges. And they said that this fellow persuadeth men. Look at the wording right there that Luke used. He persuadeth men to what? Worship God. What's wrong with that, right? He persuadeth men to worship God. Here's their charge against him. He ain't doing it right. Why, wow, he's letting that old drunk come in there. Call him and say, yeah, they got music too loud. They're rejoicing too loud. Why, wow, they didn't even wear a tie to church. They let that heathen come in. They didn't have a robe like ours. Well, did you see that man? He came out in public with a pair of shorts on. And that woman had on pants. Glory to God, they're all going to hell. Did you see that man had long hair and that woman had short hair? How could that be a Christian? How could that have anything to do? See, they had their law. And when he said they're worshiping God, but it's not according to the way I see it ought to be done. See, you know, that, that, that's a problem that the church has had for a long time. The church is very legalistic. We ain't got a lot of that stuff out of our system yet. I think we're working on it. But we ain't got a lot of that. I ain't got a lot of that out of my system. I was raised with a lot of legalism in me. Thank God I was raised with the word in me. Because it won't come back void. But, but there was a lot of legalism in it too. I, I knew how you had to dress. I knew how you had to look. You got to look this way if you want to go to church. That's a life in the pits of hell. You got to look like a lost, down, broken sinner washing the blood of the Lamb of God. That's what you got to look like. Matter of fact, you ain't got to look like that. You can look like a broke down sinner in your filth. You can still be drunk from Saturday night and come into the house of God and come in and be cleansed on that day. But they said, oh, no, no, no. It's got to be done by the law. 
He, he's telling people to worship God, but we, they ain't doing it our way. That's where the church is killing itself. They're kicking people out because they don't look right. There is no look right. It, man, I had a conversation about this week. I, I didn't grow up. I, I didn't grow up a preacher's kid. I, I grew up in a Christian home. Grew up in a Christian home. The, the church is where everybody's got it together, right? I mean, to me, I, you know, I just oh, I grew up, they're all Christians. That, that's all the good people. That, that's all the ones that do right. That's all the ones that talk right. That, that's the ones that don't do bad. I mean, that's all the good people. I understand why so many preachers' kids turn bad a lot of times. Because they grew up knowing the truth. I had to learn the truth when I became a pastor. That's the farthest thing from the truth. What this is is a hospital full of some hurting folks. Everybody in the house of God is coming there for help. They're coming in with some form of brokenness. They ain't got it all together. They just got washed in the blood. Their sins got washed away. But we're still trying to get through life, right? So, so man, I have no idea why I got off and all that. Where am I supposed to even be preaching tonight? I, I, I was supposed to be back over there. I don't know. If, I guess God puts it there. He just put it there. God, God shows us something in this. That, that, that they, they persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. They're, they're not doing it right. They're, they're not doing it our way. But I love what the Holy Spirit does in the next verse. Paul is just about to offer his defense. Paul is just about to explain himself. I don't know what he was going to say. I, I, I don't know what his defense was going to be. I don't know what his testimony was going to be. I, I don't know what his reasoning was going to be. I, I know it was going to be something about Jesus. But he's just about to get ready to defend himself. And Paul is about to open his mouth in verse number 14. When the Holy Spirit touched a Roman named Galileo, said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason you would that I should bear with you. See, being a Roman official, he is, he is a Gentile ruler of a Roman region. And God touched him, and Paul didn't have to open his mouth. See, see, that's important. God doesn't need a Christian to take care of you. God, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to have Christians hire you to do a job to make money for God to support you. God, God holds the heart of the king in his hand. God can use a lost, a lost person's money to pay your bills. God can use a, a lost person to stop and change your flat tire on the side of the road. God can use lost people to accomplish his will, even to protect and to take care of his children. He did it right there. He reached down and he took the tongue of a Roman official and he spoke to the Jews. He said, hey, man, you got something legal going on. You bring it in here, I'll hear it. But I don't want to hear about your junk. See, number one, we see right off, he's not a religious man. He could care less about their legal affairs. He, he could care less about... Your God, the way they worship God, that don't matter none to him. He, he, he has no religion. He has no fear of God. He couldn't care less. So you want to come in talking about he's telling people to serve your God wrong? That don't mean nothing to me. He, he says, get them out. But more than just get them out. The Bible says that, that he had, had them thrown out. He basically says, you're wasting my time. If it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. But then it says that he drave them out. Now, you got you got to get back to the memory of the time right here. The Romans don't like the Jews at all. We know that, right? We know that. Everybody know that. They don't like the Jews. 
They don't like anything about the Jews. These guards that were told to get these men out probably took some great delight in kicking them in their royal posterior out the door. They, they probably took some pleasure in getting to throw these highfalutin, stuck-on-yourself priests out the door. I imagine it wasn't a very pleasant experience getting tossed out of the courtroom. It was humiliating. Well, they were the hierarchy of the Jews. They're, they're, the, they're the priestly ones. They're the ones with the, dro with the robes and the, and the fair dress. And here they are thrown out of a courtroom. I imagine that's pretty humiliating, wouldn't you think? So, so, so they're thrown out. Now, somebody, somebody's going to have to pay for that. I mean, here they are humiliated. They're, they're frustrated. Galileo says he don't, he don't care. So, somebody, some, somebody's got to pay for that. So, so what we see is this man, Sosthenes, that all the Greeks took Sosthenes, chief ruler of the synagogue, beat him before the judgment seat. That means they got back close enough for Galileo to see it there in the, in the, at least in the entrance to that courtroom and beat him, and, and he, he couldn't care less. It said he, he cared for none of those things. It, it didn't mean anything to him. Now, there are those that say, Sosthenes, that, that he wasn't saved at that time. There's some that say, and, and scholars, if you will, that, that probably that he was one of the ones who led the insurrection. He's one of the ones who led the, the, the other chief rulers and the Jews, and they brought him in. And because they were made a mockery, because they were humiliated, they beat him up because of the failure. But then there's others who say he was already a Christian. Here's what we do know. I do know that he, he either is or he becomes a Christian. He, he's one that he probably helps Paul there in the synagogue. Now, because he was an official, he, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He's probably the former because we know Crispus is now. So he's probably a former one. But he obviously has a lot of influence over people, which means that with his influence and being a Christian, that is able to help Paul reach a lot of other people so that other people become Christians, right? See, here's, here's the evidence of what we have. Verse number 18, Paul, after this, tarried yet a good while. Then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. In verse number 19, he came to Ephesus, left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. Now, one, I wish I had something to give you about that vow. Is that puzzling to anybody? Anybody here want to know what the vow is? Anybody want to know what that vow is? That don't matter to y'all. Anybody want to know what the vow is? Raise your hand if you want to know what the vow is. Good. Find out and tell me. Because I can't find it. I, I, I read four different commentaries. I read through a study Bible. Apparently, no, there's really nothing that really tells us what the vows. Some of them try to talk about, you know, the vows of the Nazarene and those things. None of that makes sense to me because the vow of the Nazarene, you couldn't cut your hair. Some say that it was to, to prove that he didn't have a vow of a Nazarene. That's, what the text, that's not what the text said. It doesn't say he's trying to prove he doesn't have a vow. It said he does have a vow. So uh, if you find out what the vow is and it's really good, just let me know, and I'll be glad to share it with everybody because I ain't got a clue. All I know is he shaved his head because he had a vow. But, but here's what we see. Paul goes to Ephesus. After a year and a half stay at Corinth, he, he has gone to Ephesus. And, and what we know is that he stayed there for the most part for three years. That, that became his home for the next three years. Paul stays at Ephesus. He travels a little bit there, there locally. But, but he stays at Ephesus preaching the gospel. And at the end of the three years, right, right towards the end of that three-year span... 
he writes his first letter back to the church at Corinth. And here's what the letter says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church, which is at Corinth. So whether he was a Christian or maybe he got Christianity beat into him, I don't know. Maybe he decided he didn't like the Jews and wanted to beat him up. But one thing I know is he became a help to Paul. He became a great help in the ministry, even so to, to go there to Ephesus with him. Verse number 20, I don't have enough time to, to go to the next, because here, here Paul begins to head toward Jerusalem. That's what you said in verse 21. He's headed back for, for the feast. It kind of is a whole different picture. Um, not really the, the end, but, but he heads back towards Jerusalem. So things get a little bit different. So Lord willing, I think that'd be a really good place. Since it kind of changes speed, we'll just we'll pick up there. Well, in two weeks, we won't pick up there next week. But Lord willing, we'll pick up there in a couple of weeks and see if we can go to Jerusalem with Paul. In the meantime, between now and then, we'll have Thanksgiving. I expect to be about 10 pounds heavier next time I see y'all. I'm a pound heavier every time I see you now, eating all them Christmas tree cakes. Man, I'm going to turn into one of them things before I get done with all them boxes. Lord have mercy. Yeah, they sure are good. And by the way, I appreciate the continuance of the letters, man. You guys keep sending letters. I got some even the end of last week and the gift cards and the things that you went. I probably should tell this on a Sunday morning because so many of us sent, but my wife can verify it's true. Cards mean something to me. They, all, they always have. To me, cards are when we take a time to say things that we don't ever really say. It, we, we, we take a time to express things that, that matter, and we, we say things that we don't ever look at people and say. And to me, cards mean something. So if I've ever been given a card, I still have a card. You're like, what? Yeah, like I really do. I mean, any card I get, birthday cards, anybody sends me a card, I keep them. When the drawer gets full, I put them in a box. I mark the box. I move the box into storage, and I start over in that drawer again. So, so they mean something. I, so I just I appreciate the cards. I appreciate what you guys have written to Robin and I. Th those are great encouragements. Th th those are a great, great help to us to see how many people we have in the family all pulling together. Amen. God, thank you so much. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us, God. But thank you, Father, for these, your children. Thank you for this, our family, God. Brothers and sisters, redeemed of the Lamb as one, God. Thank you for the families represented here at Faith Baptist Church, the oneness that you've given us, Father. Thank you, God. I, I pray, Father, would you pour your blessing out on every home represented in this place, God. I pray you put a hedge of protection about them. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we travel and go Thanksgiving and all the things that we do. I know there's a Sunday between now and then, but a lot of people are going to travel this weekend. They're going to go do their Thanksgiving things ahead, God. And I pray, Father, you'd go before and prepare the way. I pray you'd keep a hedge of protection about them, God. I pray that you'd Help all family gatherings, Lord, to be able to be a, a pleasant time to get together. Lord, I pray that as we gather with, with family members who may not be saved, God, may our, may our life be a living testimony before them. May they see Christ in this, God. How awesome it would be. What a thanksgiving it would be to be able to lead a family member to the Lord, God. I pray you'd help us to be usable vessels, God. Help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.